1: Hey, everyone, this is Joe Waters, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Cause Talk Radio, and on the line with me, of course, is Miss Megan Strand. Hey, Megan.
0: Hello, Mr. Waters.
1: I am so excited today, because on the line, we have someone who's better known for his R's than I am. I
0: mean,
1: that's the opportunity here. (laughs) On the line with us today is Will McCaskill, and he is an associate professor at Oxford, and the author of doing good better. And the most important thing you need to know about Will is that he pronounces his eyes and not only does he pronounce them, he does it in a beautiful <laughs> way. Right Will? <laughs>
2: That's exactly right, as I'm sure you're going to hear in the course of this podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I learned about this, folks, from uh, and, and we'll reference this in the show notes, from uh, from an article in The Atlantic. And even the author of that article referenced how beautiful Will's R's were. But we're not here to talk about Will's R's. <laughs> and maybe one day Will can actually tutor me on how to add more R's to my language, uh, which would be really important. We're actually here to t- talk about something that Will is a big proponent of and also a leading voice in, and that's effective altruism. And there was a fabulous article in The Atlantic that talked about it, but we wanted to get you on the line so you could tell us and our listeners, what is effective altruism?
2: Effective altruism is about using your time and money as effectively as possible to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's about using high quality evidence, good reasoning, careful analysis to really ensure that when you give to charity, when you buy a product at a store, or when you use your time, such as through your career, in order to make a difference, you're doing so such that it has the biggest possible social impact.
0: How, how does one get interested in the field of effective altruism? How, how did this become interesting to you?
2: It all started for me back in 2009. I'd I'm a philosopher and I come across Peter Singer's arguments that mm-hmm. because uh, the extremity of poverty in poor countries is so great and because you can do so much to help poor people uh, with a comparatively small cost yourself, we have a very strong obligation to donate most of our earnings uh, to, the, to help those people. And I found that very compelling and mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to you know, make a commitment and in fact did to give away – most of my income over the course of my life. So I've pledged everything above about $35,000 per year, um, which should be about 60% of my earnings. But then the question is, well, I want to help these people. I don't want to just feel good about myself. That's not why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. So how can I help this help as much as possible? And it was in the course of meeting another academic, uh, Toby Ord at Oxford, who told me about a body of research from health and development economics that really could help to address the question of how can you do your mo- the most good with your donations.
0: Wow, that's really incredible. I, and I could see how if you're going to be giving away the lion's share of your income, you would want to make sure that that's going to the most effective place. But that sounds like a really complicated proposition. So where does one start when it when it comes to determining what is actually making an impact versus what is not?
1: Will, I want to just say up front, too, mm-hmm. I have not received any checks from you.
0: <laughs> you're not a registered 501c3h um, oh damn i should remember that
2: i'm sorry i have started to get emails and tweets now from people demanding that i donate some of this money to really but they don't make the case for impact sadly so
0: are you serious it, like people can, seriously say this to you like give me money
1: yeah yeah that's right wow um, I, like I got a brutal <laughs> latte habit that needs to be
2: yeah okay um, well, if you can um, explain that you just get so much happiness from those <laughs> that it outweighs everything else, then maybe I'd be convinced. Uh, uh, so you said it's a hard thing, and right. that's exactly right. This is just an incredibly difficult problem. Uh, but it's about you know getting the best answer we can. And so a natural place to look if you're trying to do as much good as you can is focusing your efforts on the poorest people in the world. Mm-hmm. So the bottom billion people live on about 60 cents per day, um, even once you take into account the fact that money goes further overseas, at only about $1. fifty a day. Uh, so it's just an absolutely tiny amount of money. And that means that additional contributions there can do a huge amount of good. And then when you look at the history of um, aid spending, uh, you know, some of it's extremely mixed indeed, but there are amazing ex- health, uh, success stories within global health in particular. And so that's where we started our analysis. That's definitely not where we think it will end. Um, but we discovered that there are, as well as a great track record of improvements in global health, there are additional things that you can fund right now, like distributing insecticide-treated bed nets, providing deworming tablets um, uh, among a school-age population that have a radical impact, positive impact on people's lives. Mm
1: -hmm. And and you know what I thought was interesting, too, is you kind of debunked the myth, too, that to make an impact, everyone has to go into nonprofit work, that in some instances, it might be better for that person to take a good-paying job and take half of their salary or more and donate it back because they would essentially be donating the salary that they would be working at in a nonprofit.
2: That's exactly right. Uh, 80,000 hours, we provide – career advice to young people who want to make a big difference and one mistake they make is to think only about the direct impact they can make through their labor so they only think about working for an effective organization and that can be great if you can if you really can work for a really good organization but it just neglects that you also have the opportunity to have a big impact through your ability to donate or your, through your ability to advocate or promote important causes and if your special advantage lies in one of those things Maybe you're just much better at taking some lucrative career than you would be as a charity worker, or much better as a promoter rather than as a um, charity worker. Then it seems like often you should do that instead of working directly for the charity.
0: And we should say that eighty thousand hours is a nonprofit organization that you started to talk about social impact in your career.
2: That's right. So it's taking the effect of elsewhere some idea and applying it to use of your time. If you want to make as big a social impact as possible through your career, what should you do? And we try to provide the best advice we can, you know, doing in-depth research uh, to try to answer that question.
0: So where, do, where does podcaster fall on that? <laughs> so
2: if you were advocating... Way at the bottom. <laughs> uh, if you were advocating extremely important causes through your podcasts, oh. uh, it's, you know, you'd have that kind of advocate um, role. So if you were able to reach a very large audience and change the behavior of a large number of people, um, I think podcaster uh, you know, it has potential at least.
1: <laughs> That's We're awesome. lucky, I'll tell you. <laughs> he, he doesn't know that two weeks ago we had debuted White Castle. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my no, goodness. I, well, I want to ask a question because i I think part of part of what was outlined in this article that was so fascinating to me, and it's so hard, is just going counter to the emotionality of why most of us donate to a cause. So, you know, if I feel like saving puppies is the most mm-hmm. important thing in the world. And that really pulls on my heartstrings. Your mm-hmm. point is kind of like, too bad. But like, that is not the best use of your dollar when you are trying to make a dent in the world. So, you know, there's that piece of it. And then there's like, do I save one puppy or 10,000? And mm-hmm. really, our emotions are more calibrated to save that one puppy that we see, see a picture of because we get overwhelmed and shut down when we hear this 10,000 number.
2: That's right. Uh, psychologists have actually studied this effect. They call it psychic numbing, uh, where if you tell a story about one young child who um, would benefit from your donation, uh, you will don- like people on average will donate more than if they tell a story even about two people who would benefit from that donation. So mm-hmm. you think you people would want to donate twice as much because they're doing twice as much good, but it's just much harder to empathize with a large number of people um than it is to ident- empathize with what just one person and so of course it's very natural that you want just you know if you're kind of getting this empathetic arousal you want to act on that but i think this needs to be kind of guided by our capacity to reflect and think through things and reason um because there are causes that perhaps don't pull at the hearts of things in the same way um but where you'll do even more good
1: And, you know, this kind of, you know, Will, one of the things I'm interested to is like, this brings us to the issue of cause marketing. And, you know, Mm -hmm. as you know, Megan and I, you know, we focus a lot or I focus, I should say, mainly on transactional cause marketing, the type of things that happen at the register when, you Mm -hmm. know, people donate a dollar or donation boxes. And, you know, the biggest thing I tell my clients, Will, is you have to lead with emotion, you know, Mm -hmm. go with your strongest emotional appeal. Um, But, you know, the challenge is, is that's not always the best cause that's represented Mm -hmm. at the register because it tends to be either women it you know or children Mm -hmm. or animals you know something that's going to really uh you know it's not about necessarily malaria nets
2: Mm -hmm. yeah so i think you know you can have the do the similar emotional appeals even for the very effective you know concrete charities that we talk about like against Mm -hmm. malaria foundation you know children feeling happy that they've now got a bed net or children feeling happy they've now been dewormed can still right. have the same sort of, um, you know, emotional arousal for people, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, where cause marketing, the way I would kind of think about it, especially transactional cause marketing, the most important issue would be, is this something that's going to be one step on the path to a much kind of larger impact in that person's life? Because normally these are quite small amounts of money and that's what Mm -hmm. kind of emotional appeals are good for. Mm -hmm. Or is this something that's potentially substituting for other good acts that they might do? This is a phenomenon uh, psychologists call moral licensing Mm -hmm. where you can do one good deed then you feel good about yourself and that just means you won't do some other good deed that you would have otherwise have done.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And sometimes kind of the empirical literature is divided on this. So in some circumstances you get this effect where... This first act is like a commitment, like first step towards a bigger commitment. Um, Mm -hmm. And other times you get this effect where you think, okay, well, that means I've done my bit and I'm just going to do less good elsewhere. Mm. And so that's, I think, the big risk for some of these cause marketing.
1: You know, one of the things that concerns me sometimes, Will, is um, fundraising around disasters, is Mm -hmm. that there is so often a disproportionate impact. Uh, you know, that depends on the disaster and what happens, you know, as you know, you know, we had this terrible bombing um, years ago um, in Boston, just a couple of years ago now. And, you know, they raised uh, millions and millions of dollars, I think it was like almost $100 million or something like that for the victims. And they certainly deserve the money and stuff. But I was very aware of the fact that about that same time, there was a refinery explosion in Texas, and several people died. And then Mm -hmm. 15 firefighters were killed in Arizona. Arizona fighting a blaze and they actually had trouble raising money for those 15 firefighters families. And I think to myself, there's got to be a better way when it comes to disasters and tragedies to raise money.
2: I completely agree. And I write about natural disasters and doing good better. Um, In particular, uh, there's this odd effect when it comes to doing good, which is that if you feel very strongly about something, then that can be a, even be a reason against mm-hmm. acting on that impulse because everyone else will also be exposed to this idea and feel very strongly about it. And right. so, natural disasters often get far more funding than what people regard as just, or I would regard as just ongoing natural disasters, like mm-hmm. the 500,000 people every year who die of malaria. I just think mm-hmm. that's a natural disaster of untold proportions, but we get used to it somehow because it happens every day. And that means that. I think people do sometimes donate to places where they could have had a much larger impact elsewhere. So the Mm -hmm. Japanese earthquake was an example. People were donating from the UK, um, my own country, to Japan, even though Japan's a richer country. It's a very kind of odd state of Yeah, And even though the Japanese Red Cross had explicitly said, like, we do not need any money, Mm -hmm. um, we are already a wealthy country that is able to deal with this. And in fact, in the immediate aftermath, Japan got, a similar amount of funding as Haiti did, mm-hmm. even though Haiti is wow. um, uh, something like 20 times poorer wow. uh, and did not have the same amount of uh, you know, infrastructure to be able to cope with that. Mm-hmm. And so when there are these emotional appeals, people aren't necessarily thinking, you know, how much good am I going to do on the margin, given that everyone else is already going to be funding this?
0: I want to go back to the company piece because you sort of took the consumer perspective and we sort of pitched it to you as a com- consumer perspective, you know, if you're donating a dollar at charity. But mm-hmm. as the co- as the company, you know, those dollars can really add up to millions of dollars whether you're donating it yourself corporately or whether you're leveraging consumer pocketbooks to raise that amount of money. In your opinion, what, how much of an obligation do companies have to do good better and really dig into that impact piece? And, and how can they do that?
2: Yeah, I'd love to see companies focus more. So when they do corporate social responsibility or when they're donating, uh, in my experience, the principal interest of the companies has often been to get good marketing and get mm-hmm. good publicity Mm -hmm. Uh, rather than just to focus on actually having a big impact. Um, And I would love to see companies step up to the plate and say, look, no, actually, we're going to dedicate a certain proportion of our resources, um, and we're going to dedicate that to actually just, you know, making sure that we're having a really big impact on the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think you can do that in a variety of ways. I think for companies, the easiest way is through their profits, through their ability to donate. And there are already pledges um, for people who do want to have an impact that way. Um, so the Founders Pledge, uh, the Salesforce 111 um, pledge, 1% mm-hmm. of profits, mm-hmm. 1% of time, and 1% of uh, your product. Um, these can be ways of having, I think, um, you know, a very big impact as well. I think that's only the case if you can honestly say, "Look, we're actually trying to f- use this to focus on having as big an impact as we can, rather than just making ourselves look good."
0: And in yeah. your um, in your think
2: this varies, <laughs> yeah.
0: in your perspective, though, is would because there are plenty of companies that are really starting to see that I think and really starting to say okay how can we solve this issue like what is a solvable issue and so i think of i think of companies that are trying to ch- to tackle childhood hunger in the united states for example but mm-hmm. your argument is more that that money would be better spent internationally because of the level of poverty around the globe is that
2: accurate yeah i think that's right so uh obviously childhood hunger. So one thing to say is that um, when people refer to childhood hunger in the U.S., it just means something very different indeed
0: than sure. childhood hunger
2: yeah. um, internationally. Uh, childhood hunger in the U.S. is like sometimes um, missing a meal, being on a poverty mm. line that's yeah. kind of about or nutrition, dollars Poor yeah. nutrition. exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, whereas um, internationally, that can mean starving to death. And so the, the, dif- the difference is just Quite extreme. That's not to say there aren't big problems in the US. Right. Um, uh, there certainly are, and there's certainly important, um, you know, very important work to done to be done to improve people's lives. The biggest thing, though, is just how much progress can you make on those problems with a given amount of money or um, other resources, mm-hmm. and how neglected is that? How many people are already trying to fund this? And you know, for extreme poverty, there's just far less um, money being spent on it, and there's just these demonstrable evidence-backed ways of significantly improving people's lives.
1: You know, it seems with um, companies too, Will, where they could really focus and be helpful is on the one hand, really empowering employees to give back because, you know, Megan and I talk a lot about this too. There's only so much money in the company checkbook uh, yeah. to, you know, that, that you know, what's really powerful is, you know, when they can empower employees and and um, and customers to donate. But not only do they empower them, but they can also help steward the money to the right Areas, I think that's where a company can play a big role, uh, not only in terms of unleashing their employees, but Mm -hmm. being a good steward in terms of it, you know, making sure it ends up in a place where there is a lot of impact.
2: That's exactly right, I think. And uh, one way you could do that is through matching programs. So Mm -hmm. Google has this program, Microsoft does. If you donate, then the company will match that donation. And could also say, and we'll match it, but maybe only if it's, um, you know, sufficiently high impact charity. Mm-hmm. I think that would be something I'd mm. love to right. see more of. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think, I I think
1: love- we're getting there, too, with millennials. And I think, you know, I think Gen uh, Y and Z, I think they're really interested in, you know, less institution focused, more focused on impact. And, yep. you know, they really do want to know the bottom line of what's happening and, you know, how they can make a difference. So maybe those two trends are really, you know, colliding.
2: Yeah, I really think that. I think there's a massive trend, um, both in people to want to just make more of a difference and second, in people wanting to be really serious about that, not just, you know, donating or volunteering to make themselves uh, feel good um, or because, you know, they think they ought to do their bit, but instead feeling just really excited about making progress on some of the world's most pressing problems.
0: How? What resources do you recommend for people who really want to take a more intentional look at their giving whether they're going to be giving a percentage of their salary or just want to say you know what I give 20 bucks here 100 bucks there 500 there I want to I want to be more intentional about where that money is actually going what are what resources do you recommend people check into to figure out that impact piece
2: by far the best resource um, I know of is on this is givewell.org uh which is an extraordinarily in-depth um, and meticulous uh, organization in order that recommends you know, the, the charities that do the very most good. So it just provides a short list of absolutely top recommended charities. And it's now also spun off an organization called the Open Philanthropy Project um, that's investigating a wider variety of causes. So traditional give-well is normally focused on um, programs focused on extreme poverty, uh, the Open Philanthropy Project is now also looking at, criminal, you know, other causes that it thinks are particularly high, high importance, and um, whether because they're particularly neglected or particularly tractable or just very great in scale, and that includes criminal justice reform, biomedical research, uh, immigration reform, uh, risks of uh, global catastrophe such as through climate change, uh, so a number of other causes. Uh, And that's also just incredibly thorough and some of the best. You know, well,
1: well, I got a question though. Like, you know, I hear you talk about these things and I think to myself, like, You know, if you're a thinker or you're math oriented or analytical in Mm -hmm. terms of how you approach charities, this sounds great. But for, you know, that man or woman who maybe is a real emotional thinker about how they give and what they should give to and stuff like that. I mean, how are we going to make this sexy for the average person so that they can connect with it?
2: Yeah, so it is a very... You know, it's certainly something that so far has been appealing to nerds.
1: Philanthropy nerds. We saw something like that as nerd giving or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that was
2: in the Atlantic article. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Manificence, <laughs> for, <laughs> Manificence for <laughs> Manificence for nerds. Um, and so that's exactly right. And I think, you know, the core people, GiveWell and us, who've been behind this, we are the nerds though, promoting this. And then I think the next stage would be then... Uh, Dressing this in a way that's, you know, easily understandable and emotionally relatable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think some of the uh, statistics on impact, if you present the right way, um, can appeal to that. So sometimes I think, so with Against Malaria Foundation, which distributes these insecticide treated bed nets, um, statistically you can save a life for about three and a half thousand dollars. That's not like these other numbers that charities sometimes use that are very overblown. It's just... As a matter of fact, you should expect to save a life on average with every $3,500. Now imagine that you walked past a burning building and you ran inside and kind of kicked the door down and rescued a small child from there and ran out with a small child. If you did that, that would be something that would stay with you with the rest of your life. Um, It would be like a very important moment in your life. But what these numbers show, um, the kind of emotion or the story behind that, is that for most people in the United States, if they give, say, 10 percent of their income, then they can do as much good as that every year or every couple of years, for the rest of their life. So they can do this dozens of times over. So an incredibly powerful um, fact about the world is that these people that we think of as just amazing heroes, um, you know, the sorts of people that risk their lives to save people from burning um, buildings. You can be that hero in terms of yeah. the amount of good you can do. that's a good way of describing it every, yeah. every couple of years
1: hey Will, can I ask you something and you yeah. you're very generous in terms of your giving and stuff. are you married uh, I am married yeah. how 's your wife feel about this <laughs> uh, she 's going to
2: do the same thing wow actually, you, yeah, she's you 've got a I mean, winner
1: she 's a keeper
2: yeah i actually I was initially quite worried <laughs> that uh, this would be a big negative, but um no, I found actually people um, you know, like a man with models.
0: <laughs> yeah, because,
1: you know, I'll tell you, uh, Megan's got her husband working like six jobs to get her all the stuff she needs. Oh,
0: right, yeah. And, that's you me. know,
1: I, I mean, based on our conversation today, Megan, I really think you're going to have to give up that swim with the dolphins cause that you work with all <laughs> in the Portland area. Uh, she, she, just so you know, Will, she calls it a life with porpoise. <laughs> uh, so, you
0: know, did you I just mean, come up with that right now? That was I good. Did, I did, you know, being very clever as <laughs> I, you yeah, know, <laughs> yes, yeah. oh my goodness well will this has been absolutely fascinating can you tell you have you are involved in all sorts of different places that are really really fascinating can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about your book and where yeah, they can find the you book. online
2: i think the two things to do are firstly to sign up to my newsletter that's a effective and the second so effective altruism is the name of the broader movement that doing Good better is about and the second thing is to follow me on Twitter as well. Uh, my handle is at Will McCaskill.
0: Excellent. Well, I'm going to be doing both of those things yeah, as soon as definitely. I click this off. Excellent. We're going to pl- put show to, to the show notes as well. And then how about you, Joe? Where, where will you be bantering about with Will on Twitter?
1: I got someone new to talk to, that's for sure. I know.
0: Well, what do you think of this? What do, will,
1: what do you think of that? <laughs> Ask away. Uh, I'm always happy to hear. Uh, That's awesome. And uh, people, of course, can find me on my blog at SelfishGiving.com. They can find me on Twitter at Joe Waters. And of course, I've got 3,700 cause marketing pins on Pinterest. I don't know how many more than Megan, but it's a lot. So check it out at Pinterest.com front slash Joe Waters. What about you, Megan? Where can people find you except Pinterest?
0: Well, you know, my question is, how are those pins changing the world? How are they being effectively altruistic, Joe? (laughs)
1: Hey, I'm living a life. That's
0: called psychic numbing, all those pins. (laughs) (laughs) You can find me on Twitter at Megan Strand. And I also tweet for the Cause Marketing Forum at TweetCMF. And you can find show notes for today's episode at CauseUpdate.com as well as SelfishGiving.com. And you can find the podcast... That is not psychically numbing on iTunes. We do recommend you subscribe to the podcast, share the wealth, share the message, share the altruism. And if you like today's episode, please leave us a review. We would love to hear it. And on behalf of Will and Joe and myself, we'd like to thank you for joining us for this episode of Cause Talk Radio. And we'll talk to you next time.